0: Well, if you got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. One of my favorite cities in the United States is Charleston. I love its history. I love its charm. I love its food. I enjoy going and spending time in Charleston, especially with my bride. And whenever we go there, we walk through the city and we... Go down Rainbow Row, and we enjoy that. And then we enjoy looking at all of the old historic houses that are on the battery. And And one of the things that we do, and you may think this is odd and this is strange, but one of the things that we do that we enjoy looking at are the doors to these houses. Because these doors are filled with history, they're filled with color, they're filled with charm. And there are a number of beautiful doors. And I would encourage you if you haven't gone to Charleston and you haven't just walked through the city, the old city, and and looked at it to go and enjoy that. When Steve and I were in Slovenia about a month ago, we had the opportunity um, for several days after our mission trip was over to spend several days in Italy. And one of the cities we went to was Florence. And Florence is a historic city, and, and in Florence there is a door that Michelangelo called the gates to paradise. It's a, it's a bronze door that has pictures of Bible scenes on it. And if you look closely at the door, you can see these Bible scenes, But but Michelangelo said that this door is so beautiful that this must be a picture of the gates to heaven when we We go into heaven. Now you may say, Rocky, why are you talking about doors this morning? Well, the reason is, is because the Bible speaks often about doors. As a matter of fact, that word is found 236 times in Scripture. We read about the door of salvation. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me will be saved. You see, Jesus is the only door to eternal life. There is no other door. The Bible speaks about the door of intimacy. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, a verse that that many people often use as an evangelistic verse, but, but it's really speaking more about intimacy with the Lord. Jesus said this. He says, I have been standing at the door. I am constantly knocking If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. You see, our Lord not only wants a relationship with us, he not only wants to save us, he desires intimacy with us. And then we read about the door of answer prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, he said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and The door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. The Bible speaks often about doors. But this morning, what I want us to focus on for a few minutes is the door of opportunity. Because that is what the Lord Jesus placed before the church at Philadelphia. Jesus said this, I have opened a door for you. Now, and for you that are joining us for the first time, or perhaps you haven't been here in a while, we are in the eighth week of a nine-week series on Revelation 1 through 3. And in the book of Revelation, particularly these first three chapters, the risen Lord gives a specific message to to seven different churches that are located in Asia Minor, what is now modern Turkey. And as we study each of these churches, we discover some positive traits that we individually and we collectively as a church should try to emulate. And we also discover some negative traits that we as individuals and we as a church need to guard against. But when we come to the church at Philadelphia it becomes obvious that this church is the apple of Jesus' eye. He has absolutely nothing negative to say about this church. Everything that he says is positive and encouraging. And the reason is, this was a purpose-driven church. They knew and they understood their purpose and they were pouring their energies and their efforts into fulfilling God's purpose for their church. And because of this, Jesus said, I am setting before you an incredible door of opportunity. And so let's read what Jesus says to this church beginning in verse 7. He says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown." He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now let me give you a little background. The city of Philadelphia was strategically located on the Roman road. It was between Rome and the eastern world. It was a city where the major roads to almost every place in the world converged. And every day, people from all over the world would travel through the city. And so people from, from from what is now in Europe, people from what is now in Asia, people from what is now in Africa would would travel through Philadelphia as they were traveling to other parts of the world. And in this city, there was a church, and this church was was evidently large, not large in number. It, it it evidently didn't have a lot of influence or power, and and yet Jesus said, "I have an awesome plan." for this church. Jesus said, I am going to place before this church an open door of opportunity, a door to impact the world. And I believe that 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 is something that every single true church desires today. We want to be a church where Jesus places before us that open door of opportunity to impact our world for his glory and his honor. Now as we unpack these verses this morning, there are three truths that I want us to see as, as we seek to better understand how we as a church can be a church of, of an open door. First of all, we need to understand that knowing our king should inspire us. You see, if we're going to make a difference in our world, if we're going to walk through the open doors of opportunity, we must first of all recognize that our power comes from no other source than Jesus himself. We may have all kinds of a talents. We may have amazing abilities. We may be able to dare um, dream daring dreams. But without Jesus, we can do nothing. Without Jesus, our talents are wasted, our, our abilities are useless, and our dreams are nothing but daydreams. You, you see, what, what Jesus is telling this church at Philadelphia is this, if you want to walk through the open door, you must depend on me completely. Now, notice how Jesus identified himself. First of all, he said that he is holy. Throughout the Bible, and... Throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is identified, he is described as holy. In Revelation 4, verse 8, we read this. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so in heaven, even at this moment, the divine creatures, the angelic beings, are worshiping and praising Jesus as the Holy One who was, who is, and who will always be. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, we read this. They called out in a loud voice, How long sovereign Lord... Holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long is it going to be until you judge? And then Revelation 15 verse 4 says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Do you notice what the Bible is saying here? It's saying that Jesus alone is holy. And because Jesus alone is holy, Jesus alone should be worshipped. And Jesus alone is the one that will judge the world. One day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And when we recognize that he alone is holy. He alone is worthy of praise and worship. He alone is the one whom every single person is going to one day stand before. It should give us courage. It should inspire us to walk through the open doors. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said this. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That should be our desire. Our desire should be to fill the world with the glory of our Lord as we proclaim his name throughout all the earth. You see, when we truly begin to understand that Jesus is holy and he is worthy of worship and he is the one that will judge the earth, then it should inspire us to do what he has called us to do. But he's not only holy. Jesus says that he is true. Jesus said this in John 14. He said I am the way, the truth, and the life. This means that Jesus is genuine. He's authentic. He's the real deal. But but that's not all that it means. It means that Jesus is the standard. He is the measurement through which everything else is measured. Jesus is not just truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the determination as to whether or not anything and everything is true. And so we judge everything by Jesus. We don't judge it ultimately through science, though science is important we don't judge it ultimately through archaeology though archaeology is important we don't judge it through a variety of 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 judgments we judge all things through jesus jesus is truth he is the divine measurement by which everyone and everything will be measured and then he is sovereign he is in control that's what it's talking about when it talks about the keys to David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. This is, this is a, a reference to Isaiah 22, 22 that says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. When, when Isaiah wrote this passage, Israel was in rebellion against God. And, and the leader of that rebellion was Shebna, who was the treasure of David. And, and what... God was saying is, I'm going to take the keys to the treasury away from Shebna, and I'm going to give it to Eliakim. And the treasurer of the kingdom held the keys to all the riches that the king owned. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the one who holds the keys to all the blessings and all the treasures of God. And what I open for you to get, no one can close And what I closed no one can open. And so understand, knowing our king should inspire us as we seek to go through the open doors because he is holy. He is worthy to be worshipped. He will judge everyone. He is true. He is the standard, the measurement through which and by which everyone will be judged. And he is sovereign. He is in control. And when he is in control and we we are with him, we don't need to worry about anything. Now, here's the second truth. Knowing our task should could compel us. If knowing our king should inspire us, then knowing our task, knowing what it is that, that our Lord has called us to do, should compel us. Now, now, what is our primary purpose as a church? What is our primary purpose as individual believers? Is it to promote social change? Is it to educate? Is it to serve the hurting And even though all those things are important, the Bible makes it clear that our primary purpose, our primary task is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whenever we read about an open door in the New Testament, it is always for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Let me read you a couple of passages. Acts 14 verse 27, Paul says, On arriving there, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened the door so that the Gentiles could come into the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me there. He went to preach and when he got there, he discovered that God had opened the door. God had prepared the hearts of people. And then Colossians 4 verse 3. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. What is Paul praying? God open a door for the message, the gospel so that lives can be changed. You see, every time we read about an open door, it's an open door of a God-given opportunity for expanded ministry for the sake of evangelizing the world. Let me say that again. An open door is a God-given opportunity for expanded ministry for the sake of evangelizing the world. And so when we talk about an open door... We need to use it within the proper context. Because oftentimes we we say, God opened this door for me to do this. And God opened this door for me to do that. And, And yet scripturally, whenever God opens a door, it's for the purpose of expanded ministry for the sake of evangelizing the world. That's why we're here. We're here to reach the Midlands and North America and the world. One of the intentions of this city, Philadelphia when it was founded, was to be missionaries to the Greek culture. It was actually called Little Athens. And yet Jesus is saying to this church, I want you to be another kind of missionary. I want you to be missionaries of the good news. And I am placing a door of opportunity before you. And understand, Jesus will place doors of opportunity before us if we are ready. I love what Stephen Lawson in his book, The Final Call, says about this church and about God's open-door policy. He gives seven truths. I want to just give them to you quickly. He said, God sovereignly opens doors for his people. God opens doors that are only seen with the eyes of faith. An open door requires a step of faith. Unbelief sees the obstacles But faith sees the opportunities. Doors now open are quickly closing. A church must go through an open door together. And then finally, if God is with us, nothing can stop us. I love that. I mean, when God opens a door for us, nothing can stop us. And then Jesus reveals three things about this church as they are called to reach the world as they walk through this open door. The first thing he tells us is this, we don't let our weaknesses stop us. Jesus said this church has little strength. They weren't a high-powered church. They They probably didn't have a lot of community leaders, a lot of wealthy people belonging to their church, but they had a great commitment to the Lord. They had large faith in God. And we need to constantly be reminded that God can do a great work through our weaknesses and our inadequacies if we will only relinquish control of our lives to Him. You see, God delights in taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things. It's not about our gifts. It's not about our abilities. It's not about the resources that we have at our disposal. It's about the God that we serve. And if we have a heart that is fully devoted to him, he will use us in incredible ways. And so the first thing Jesus said is, he said, don't let your weaknesses, don't let your inadequacies stop you. I've got a plan for you. And then he tells them, we must never vacillate from his word. He says, they have kept my word. This church was loyal to God's word. This is an imperative if we want to walk through open doors. There are many churches today in America that are neglecting the word. There are even some today that are rejecting the word. But if we want to be a church that that God opens doors for, we must obey the word and hold fast to the word and follow the word. In spite of what people may think today, our world doesn't need a new and fresh word. Our world needs to hear the word of God. Because the word of God is the only word that has the power to change a human heart. And though there may be some incredible motivational speakers and and even people who call themselves preachers that that communicate in creative and and polished ways and, and they wow us with their words. But I'm here to tell you that the only word that's going to ever truly change a human heart is the word of God. It's not going to come from a human being. It's going to come from God himself. And so this church did not vacillate from the Word of God. And then finally, we must remain bold in spite of opposition. It says, they have not denied my name. They were bold witnesses in a pagan and sometimes hostile culture. Never forget that with every opportunity will come adversaries. For the church at Philadelphia, this was The synagogue of Satan, that's what it was called. It was Jews who weren't really Jews. And they were slandering these believers. They would not allow them to even come into the synagogue. But Jesus said, one day I will show them that I have truly loved you. Today our our adversaries may come in many shapes and sizes. But we must always remain true to our Lord. Sharing His word, because the battle belongs to the Lord. And so our purpose is to walk through open doors of opportunity, sharing the gospel so that Jesus can change lives. But the third thing I want us to see is this. When we know his promises, that should encourage us. You see, what Jesus says here is that when we remain true to the task that he has given us, he will bless us. Now, now, notice these promises. First of all, he says, I will keep you from tribulation. Now, people disagree on what this hour of trial will be. Some people say that, that it was the Roman persecution that the church was going through or would be going through. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. And the reason is, is because this is called an hour of trial that will hit the entire world. And and to this point, there has never been a time in human history where the testing, the trial, the tribulation has hit the entire world. And so what is this talking about? I believe, is talking about the great tribulation. The great tribulation that will come at the end of time. And there are two ways to interpret this passage where, where Jesus says that, that he will keep us from that hour. The first way is that he is saying that he will rapture the church. Before this hour of tribulation comes upon the world, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to take the church out of the world. And that's a possibility. To be honest with you, that's what I believe. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for. But it could be that what Jesus is saying is that when this hour of tribulation comes, I will be with you, and I will walk with you, and I will keep you even during this time. So Jesus promises to keep them from the tribulation. Next, he promises that he's going to return soon. Now, we don't know when soon is, but here's what we do know. It's sooner now than it was. Amen? I mean, we don't know the hour. We don't know the day. I, I didn't know this, but someone told me that there was another prediction this week that the world was going to end. Obviously, it didn't. Someone, someone sent me a message last night and was asking about this author who is supposedly a Bible scholar, who's you know come to find out what it's going to look like during the end times and, and the U.S., the United States part in this process, and, and he asked me, What did I think about this person? And I said, Well, I don't know this person, but here's what I've discovered the majority of these people are kooks. And so let me just tell you. I mean, these people that that put all this detail on how it's going to be in the end, this is where the United States fits in, and this is what this means, and this is what that means. Most of those people are full of themselves. And what you just need to understand is Jesus is coming, and if you know him, that's a great source of comfort, amen? If you don't know him, that should be a warning To get yourself ready. Jesus is coming. And then finally he says I'm going to give them security and strength. He says I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. Now what does that mean? Um, A pillar was a sign of, of strength. Now what I didn't tell you is Philadelphia earlier. Experienced one of the greatest earthquakes in human history. It absolutely demolished the city. And for years afterwards they experienced aftershocks from this earthquake. And so whenever these aftershocks came, the people would would vacate the city for fear that, that all of these columns and everything were going to fall down and they were going to be crushed and be killed. And many of the people even left the city and were living in the country for fear of these earthquakes. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you don't need to worry anymore. Because I am going to make you stable. Because I'm with you. And then he said, I am going to give you security. Notice what he said. He said, I'm going to write the name of God on you. And then he said, I'm going to write the name of the city of God on you. And then he says, I'm going to write upon you my new name. Now, this is what you need to understand. In In ancient days, oftentimes... The owner would write or brand his name onto the slave. It was a sign of ownership. And what Jesus is saying here is, my name is on you. You are mine. You don't need to worry about what's going to happen in the world. You don't need to worry about this, this synagogue of Satan. You don't need to worry about those who oppose you. Because you belong to me, and what is mine, I will protect. Now, I got to tell you, I've never gone through tribulation. I've met believers who have, but I've never gone through tribulation. And may I say to you, regardless of what you think you've experienced, you've never been through tribulation. You say, oh, yes, I have. I lost my job. That's an inconvenience. Tribulation is when you're put in jail, where you're beaten, where your property is taken, where you're put in death because of your testimony of Jesus Christ. And I doubt very seriously that there is any of us in this room today who have gone through tribulation. And yet there are believers going through it today. But praise God, when that great tribulation occurs, Jesus' wrath. You see, there is tribulation that comes from the world, and then there's tribulation that comes from God. When God's judgment comes upon the world, God's going to protect us. And I am so thankful. When the hardships of life come, He's gonna be the stabilizing force in our life. And when the difficulties come and we are hit from the left and from the right, we can know that we are protected because we belong to Him. And so, what does that mean? We need to stay true to the task. We need to do everything we can to walk through the open door, sacrificing through our giving and, and, and praying and asking God, God, are you calling me to go? God, are you calling me to share? And the answer is going to be yes. And then you're going to have to ask, what's my part? Because God wants each and every one of us to be a church of the open door. And the only thing we need to ask is, are we willing to be that church? Are we willing to walk through the door of opportunity into the unknown, trusting God for the results? My prayer is that we will be that kind of church. I want you to bow your head with me, and I want you to close your eyes. And, and with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, I, I want to ask you two questions. One, Are we an open-door church? And then two, are you an open-door follower of Jesus? And if the answer is no, then you need to ask yourself, What are you willing to do to help us become that church? What are you willing to do to become that kind of believer? Here's what I know. When we are a church that walks through the open door, Jesus has nothing bad to say about us, only good. And he uses us to expand his kingdom. So what I want you to do right now is I just want you to take a moment, I want you to pray right where you are, and ask God, how can I be an open door believer? Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank <laughs> you. And I would be amiss, if your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, I would be amiss if I ended this time without giving people an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Because there could be someone here today, this morning, who has never placed their faith, their trust, surrendered their life to Jesus. And if you're here today and you're saying, I want to do this. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want him to forgive my sins and I want him to take control of my life. Then I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And you can pray this prayer to him. Dear God, I come to you this morning. Humbly asking you to forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've lived in rebellion against you. I'm tired of it. I want you to save me from my sins. I want you to set me free. I want you to take control of my life. I want to live for you. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.